0: Welcome to the Vandenak Weaver Legal Visionaries podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news, as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenak Weaver LLC. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trust and estates, business succession and exit planning, law practice technology, management and leadership, and upon occasion, well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory Housing and Business Centers, and Carson Private Client. Here's a message from Interactive
2: Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market, with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit InteractiveLegal.com.
0: Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth, Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment Advisory Service is offered through LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.
1: On today's episode, my guests are Evan Levine and Nainesh Shah. Evan is a founding partner of Complete Advisors, which is a New York valuation and advisory firm responsible for business development. Evan has 33 years of experience advising business owners on various financial and planning matters. Ninesh is a founding partner of Complete Advisors and heads the Valuation Department. He is a CFA, CVA, and serves on the National Association of Valuation Analysts Board. Ninesh specializes in valuing unique and complex entities and assets for gift, estate tax, and charitable planning. I asked Evan and Nanesh to participate in today's episode to discuss a topic titled Common Errors in Valuation Reports. We have done a couple other episodes that are on the website for the podcast. And most recently, we've talked about, you know, valuing the unique and complex assets, which was a really fun podcast. And I'm looking forward to today's podcast. Thanks for joining me today.
3: Thank you, Mary. Always a pleasure to be on your spot. Great great to be back. Thank you,
4: Mary, and thank you for all you do.
1: And so let's talk about some of the most frequent errors that you have encountered in valuation reports.
3: Kevin, do you want to start? Uh, I'll let let you start. (laughs) Um, So I think in simplest form, Mary, the errors... Uh, um occur or, or gets included in the report because uh valuator is too aggressive or um they get swayed by client which shouldn't happen but sometimes it does and that creates errors or mistakes or challenges that IRS can that um, comes across from IRS um But in in a more specific way, errors can be connected with um, mistakes with the calculation um, or mistakes in understanding the discount rate that should be applied. And we can go into a lot more detail on others, but there are multiple places that error occurs.
1: And I'm just going to throw out something that I do when I'm working on evaluation is you do try and engage the client but not in a way that they're trying to sway you that you get the proper information so that you have because I I think you know one of the next areas that I was going to ask you about is proper due diligence and data gathering if that's not done right that can lead to flawed valuation reports. Is that fair? And Absolutely. what are your thoughts you know, on if that? If you
3: are missing data, if you don't grasp the data, if, you know, simple thing is, you know, we, we all had a difficulty with COVID and visiting visiting the business or facilities that we are trying to value. Um, but if that sometimes is necessary depending on type of business. Uh, and, and you know, I tell Um, clients and others is there are three components to the the report, right? Right. Evaluation. One is gathering the data. So that's what you're talking about. And then analyzing the data and then writing the report. But gathering the data is a crucial factor. And sometimes whether clients don't have it or they are not, you know, their data system is not good enough, um, they resisting to give you data, all of that kind of sips into your valuation analysis, which can be flawed.
1: So let's talk about valuing assets. And there's kind of two broad categories. Both have a lot of subcategories, and that's tangible assets and intangible assets. But let's talk a little bit about the most common errors or challenges in valuing these two categories
3: yeah so so uh tangible asset um there are there are um business valuators and then there are hard asset valuators so you can think about real estate appraiser or a jewelry appraiser or some fine art appraiser those are so, so when you're thinking about tangible assets, which are not connected with business, you should, you have to bring in these experts, uh, because not, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not, um, qualified to value real estate. And so we always think about bringing an expert for whatever need that may be. And then when you think about intangible asset, then again, what you're trying to figure out is, what is it worth? So it can be brand name or just a, um, uh, some patent or something similar, uh, and then you have to kind of um, think in terms of how to value it. Does it does it get valued in a typical income approach, or do you have to tweak that and figure out what else you can you know you need to think about in terms of valuing? Um, if it is an ongoing business, usually what happens? Let me give you an example. There are cases that, that you might have come across, but uh, Timberland, is, uh, I've seen a couple of cases uh, about valuation of a Timberland. So Timberland itself is an asset, but if it is an ongoing business, uh, would you value the income stream or do you value the asset? And uh, IRS have taken a position that asset is, is the value and judges have taken position in favor of clients saying income you should be using income stream to value and that the difference can be wide.
1: So I'm just going to ask a follow-up question on that. So when we talk about the timberland example, then let's say we have judges saying you must value the business as a stream of revenue, that income, even if the real estate were worth more, if all those trees got knocked down and something was built on it?
3: Yeah. So so I think... The logic is: what is expected of that business? If the timberland is in the family for last 150 years, and there is no um, indication that they are ready to sell, then I think judges make good point that if if there is a track, uh, tr- uh, there is a uh, expectation that nobody is going to sell this property. Then wh- how can you? Or, what is the you know? It's not worth much other than the income stream. But if there is an indication uh, from, from you know, whatever, that there is a potential for this to sell, then the, uh, the, then the tangible asset should come into play.
1: And I think that almost goes back to something that Evan managed, mentioned in another episode that we did, which is the IRS uh, Revenue Procedure 5960 that talks about what fair market value is considered. And so if the if we're valuing a property that is a business and it happens to be on some land, we're valuing the business as opposed to looking at the real estate and valuing it for its highest and best use, which would be a different issue, right? If we're valuing the real estate and saying, is its highest and best use to be timberland or is its highest and best use? And that you know becomes pretty important. I know I've made arguments in the estate tax world where somebody tried to value it highest and best use when... There was no intent for it to be used that way. So it's a significant difference that I think is important. It's
3: a, it's a good point, Mary. And uh, yeah, and you, you, you've seen multiple cases in favor of the you know, clients taking a position that we are not going to sell this.
1: We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors.
0: At Foster Group, we know there are more important things than money. There's the joy of providing a lovely home for your family. The excitement of an early retirement. The relief knowing that an unexpected emergency won't ruin your finances. At Foster Group, we're invested in the things that make life, life, and how to get there. Foster Group, your financial life, truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure as set forth in part 2A of form ADV discusses advisory services and fees is available at www.fostergrp.com.
1: Okay, let's continue our episode. So in your experience, what are the, some of the key factors that contribute to the inaccuracies we've been discussing in evaluation reports and how can you address or avoid them?
4: Well, I could start with one Nainish if that's okay. Sure. Please. Um, I think, uh, I think a key factor that contributes to errors, and Nanish, correct me if I'm wrong, is um, hastening the turnaround time. So, you know, I've, I've um, learned in my personal business life when, when I've made mistakes, um, looking back on those mistakes, almost always, if not always, the mistakes occurred because something was rushed. And something that we run into a thorn in our side as practitioners is clients oftentimes want it fast or faster than we're comfortable doing it. And um, we had a conversation recently with an advisor, um, an attorney who advises owners of um, professional sports teams, baseball, football teams, and so forth. And he said he tells them all the time over and over that valuation work can be done either Good or fast. It can't be both. So I think um, one, you know, one, as simplistic as it sounds, one contributing factor to mistakes in valuation reports is when they're rushed. It it takes time. Um, You know, it could take 15 weeks, 18 weeks or more uh, if it's complex to do the proper type of report.
1: And one of the challenges with that is those of us practicing, particularly in the estate and gift tax realm, is we might be trying to make gifts by a certain time frame and the value might change by the time it gets done. We're trying to pin a certain date. And I'm just, without going into the strategies today, there's a lot of ways to deal with that because it is important that that valuation be accurate and correct so as opposed to getting caught up in the time now when you're dealing with a sales transaction there's a little different type of pressure than the estate and gift tax and but there are still strategies to resolve it
3: so what? and then then uh, you know to be more specific in terms of where the error gets um sips in is a mismatch so if your benefit stream includes taxes and your discount rate doesn't include tax, then there's a mismatch. So, you you know, evaluator and uh, the person who's reading the report has to be aware that there are no mismatches that happens in the report.
1: So, a really important thing in my experience is finding the right valuation expert. And I've learned that they really vary in terms of skill sets, types of assets, Things like that. So, when somebody's looking for evaluation expert, what do they need to think about?
3: What is their specialty? So, some evaluators are focused on, say, healthcare space, and there are a lot of n- nuances to understanding uh, government payment and contracts and that type of thing. Some some evaluators are just focused on intellectual property. Some are focused on name, names uh, and the value of a name. Um, and then th- there are uh, the broad space of valuation that is connected with complexity. So you need to make sure as a, val- a legal expert who's advising a client uh, that you are um, connecting with the right valuation expert. A lot of uh, valuation specialists uh, might be dealing with just Simple businesses. It's nothing Nothing wrong with it. And you can, you know, it's uh, necessary and required. But when there's a complexity, you need to find the right expert.
1: Are there yeah. specific industries or types of assets? And you mentioned that there might be experts in the healthcare space. And I assume maybe there's experts in the crypto space, et cetera. Yeah. But is there certain industries or types of assets where occur more commonly than others?
3: That's a good question, Mary. I'm, and I haven't given a, a lot of thoughts to that. Um, I would think more so than error, where would two different valuators value, uh, their valuation comes out with a wide range? And, um, uh, wherever there is a challenge on clearly defining the benefit stream, challenge of understanding the underlying risks and challenge of defining the structure of an instrument or, or entity, you would see a wide range and you can call it an error or, or you can call it, can you, defo- can you support your logic, your idea properly? Uh, so, I I would say most of where there's a complexity, you'll see a lot of, lot of differences.
1: So, in another episode that we did, we talked about the importance of a narrative in evaluation process, and mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's one measure that can be taken to help mitigate the issue that you're talking about. Are there others?
3: Yeah. So, in terms of the error, uh. uh The error can be you're not supporting your report with enough information. So you need to make sure that you have a right footnotes. You need to make sure that there are uh, appendices uh, that's connected with that and exhibits, proper exhibits. What, as evaluator, what you should be thinking about is, can someone with a similar knowledge replicate my work using this report? And if they can't, then, then there's something wrong with your report. Yeah. And as a reader of a report, that's what you should be thinking about. Does this report make sense? And is it supported well enough? So that's where the error can sip in is, yes, I might have a logic. Uh, the value of the company can be, you know, say $50 million and my logic can be, this is the discount rate, this is the benefit stream, this is the cash flow, whatever. If I'm not supporting that mm-hmm. with enough information, then it's in my mind and not in the report.
1: So, what I tell my associates is that when they write a legal recommendation, that yeah. my client, even though not a legal expert, should be able to understand what exactly. they're recommending and why. And I think that's kind of what you're saying about valuation reports. A novice who is not an expert in valuation should be able to understand the business, the data that was used to come up with the valuation and the process that was used for the valuation. Is that fair?
3: Absolutely, because you are not writing this. You are writing it for someone to read this. Uh, it could be IRS, IRS agent or someone else. Uh, and and be going beyond, and maybe I'm repeating this, but can a similar a, someone with a similar knowledge replicate your work with, with the data provided in that document?
1: And this is kind of a follow-up question, but it's not uncommon for legal disputes to arise concerning valuation reports. So what strategies can be used to defend a report's conclusions?
3: Maybe continuing on our thoughts from earlier question, you say you are in front of a judge and you are a witness and you're trying as a valuator, you're trying to defend your valuation. And and uh, uh, the attorney on the other side is going to challenge you on every single thing, uh, and if your report is not f- supported properly, and you cannot defend, and your narrative is not cohesive, the judge is going to question you. Um, so you want to bring in a, a person on the stand who would be able to um, defend most of the things that is in the report, all, all of the things. You know, going back to, uh, I, I keep thinking about that Michael Jackson case, the, 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 in the end, what happened in that case is uh, IRS didn't really um, get what they wanted. And the challenge was the witness they brought as evaluator couldn't, couldn't answer a lot of questions and the authenticity or, or credibility was not stop this. So,
1: um, yeah. So this goes back to Evans' earlier point of not rushing a report because you want a report that's well done, well supported, well written, easy to follow, and easy to defend. And the time that goes into that and doing it right really does matter. Let's talk about collaboration of professionals in this process, whether it's in preparation of the report or litigation. How can the professionals involved work together to support evaluation?
3: Um, Yeah, I think um, we work with attorneys all the time and uh, usually we have a good access to clients. So one thing that you want to make sure is as a team, you have good access to the information. The second point would be once the valuation report is done, I think the legal experts should read it, make sure that it it's um, well done. Uh, sometimes, what happens, even small things, you know, it probably not. If it is not signed in multiple places, that can be a question. Is the ID number of a of a valuator is man is in the report? That could be a question. What standard does it follow? Is it clearly specified? All of these, all the small things, yeah. can accumulate. Um, I mean, you. I, oh, I was like, going to say
4: also qualifications of the appraiser is another requirement that came up in a case recently.
3: Yeah, and so as a, as a team, accessing the data, analyzing it, doing it in time. Of course, time is a you know uh, factor because everybody's looking for a you know do do certain certain things in a certain time frame and then but still we make sure that the final copy of report is well done somebody else you know has to be uh, aware and re- read it and, and and make sure that it's done
1: and I personally when I'm involved yeah I like to read the report and have some discussion afterwards in terms of just how the structure works well let yeah.
3: we usually do a drop meeting that would be a good thing for you know I don't know if that's a normal uh, normal form of the valuators to do, but draft meeting can have a client and a and an attorney on it, and then we can discuss and if there are any questions that can arise because of that
1: right because and if I'm the attorney involved and let's say it's for a seven oh six I'm going to file a federal state tax return or a gift tax return. I want to be able to you know explain that report to an auditor if I get audited
3: right. So, and, and and we are seeing that there are more and more audits on the valuation. Uh, yeah. Probably you are seeing it th- that too. But IRS is tra- IRS is trying to go after you know valuation. They,
1: they've been attacking valuation for a very long time. They've been yeah. finding some ways to do it more effectively, and we have a lower number currently: federal state tax returns and federal gift tax returns. And they have a team that is specialized in that. So we are seeing that currently. Well, let's talk a little bit about a really hot current topic, which is artificial intelligence. And I'll share that I was just at a meeting with some advisors to the Internal Revenue Service, and we were discussing the one guy had run, you know, you always have the top scams and the top areas that are being looked at by the IRS. And we did... An artif- you know, and we were using Chat GPT in this particular case and asked the question, you know, what are the top things the IRS are looking at? And keeping in mind that Chat GPT currently is only turning through 2021, but we got a list of some really interesting stuff. And you're probably familiar with the case where a brief was filed in court recently by a lawyer, and that's a challenge with you know the whole generative artificial intelligence, there's uses that are great for it and there's uses that you should, you know, three-letter word, run, R-U-N, not use it for, right? How yeah. does How is the artificial intelligence impacting valuations?
3: It's a really good question. And um, so the more complex and more unique uh, work is, less and less uh, artificial intelligence can help. By the way, the, what you were talking about earlier about this case and fa- uh, legal brief with a lot of errors, that's uh, something technically called hallucination when <laughs> AI, uh, <laughs> well, AI gives you wrong information. Um, I think there is a sp- uh, room for AI in report writing uh, currently. It can help you put your thoughts together quickly Um, But I think it will be long, we are a long way from artificial intelligence to write most of the report. And um, as you mentioned, so many errors, you have to be careful. So I would avoid relying on it. Will will we be there 10, 20, 15 years from now? I would think so. Um, I don't think Evan would agree with me, Evan. Do you have any thoughts? Well, I think um, it's uh, man
4: or woman, you know, plus machine is going to be the winning model. It's going to be the machine or the computer or the intelligence um, assisting the human. There'll always be room for, um, you know, uh, for humans when it comes to creative and complex uh, projects. And then, of course, the narrative and the storytelling and the empathy and all these things. So... There's a place for it, but we'll see. We'll see. You know, I, I think um, it's
1: person plus AI is is correct. And those yeah. who learn to harness it are gonna have a significant advantage. But you know, I'll just give an example. In preparing for this podcast today, I did review these and put a couple questions through, like what questions should I ask a potential advisor? to who I am asking to evaluate and I use a certain type of company and I got a pretty good responses. And then I asked, you know, what considerations should I consider in valuing a international cosmeceutical company? And I got a pretty good list of at least some considerations. So I think in solving the blank page problem is what I've heard is a great use for it.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And then then if you flip the question, so I can see... Uh, a, a good model can take the whole valuation report and and read it quickly and then tell you these are the five errors that I see as an AI. That can happen faster than AI writing the full report. So let's see you know, how it plays out.
1: Yeah, I do like that idea. I have to say that, as you know, I write and speak a lot, so I've been yeah. taking my presentations and articles and uploading them to have them yeah, reviewed. Yeah, yeah. I'm like sad to say that I get a lot of good recommendations to improve my work. All right, <laughs> well let's let's uh, ask a last question. It's really important. So, you know, legal professionals, it's really important to prevent. I'm I'm big about planning and prevention as opposed to being in litigation. And there will always be plenty of work for my litigator friends, but I prefer not to be the one who's making that happen for them. So for those of us who are on the planning end, trying to help clients avoid going through the litigation process, what can we do to help prevent or address evaluation report areas before they end up in litigation?
3: As I always say, um, you need to make sure that you are, de- are working with the right valuation analyst who understands the space or the entity or the business that needs to be valued. Uh, but even after that, I would I would wish that more attorneys take time to read the report and ask questions if necessary. Um, and over time you you, try, you become a team and you understand each other's strengths and weaknesses, uh, and that can help. So avoiding litigation should be the criteria. Why would you want to give a chance to get your report challenged? Oh. Too much work involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, don't be aggressive. So, you know, if you talk about errors, one error could be, what is the discount that you are you are taking for lack of marketability? What is the discount that you are taking for the lack of control? And is it well-supported? Uh, so, you know, those are some of the simple things that IRS will look at. If your number, if discount for lack of marketability or discount for lack of control starts with three in the front, you are going to get challenged. Right. And then, you know, of course, it takes three to three
4: or maybe more to tango the valuation Professional the attorney the c p a and then, like Naish said at the beginning, the client sharing the data uh if 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 there's no data there's no report right Nainish, if they're not going to share enough information, then we could never get to the
3: finish line we see clients who hesitate who doesn't want to give information right. for whatever reason they're, you know their motivation can be many many reasons but um we wouldn't, we wouldn't continue. We just, you know, at standstill. And really- we had a, an
4: inquiry recently about a company that um, was looking, or uh, an attorney that needed a their client's company valued, and they had a a subsidiary in Beijing, and they said about um, a third of the documents are in Mandarin. Is that going to be a problem? And I had the initial conversation with the client, and I said to Nainish, "A third of the documents are in Mandarin. Is that a problem?" And Nanish said, "Uh." The language itself is not a problem. We have software that could interpret those documents. The question, again, is are we going to get the information that we need? If we don't get the information, if we don't get the data, no report. So they have to be willing to share and be open and transparent to get the job done.
1: So I think the point about one collaboration, two team is really important, And I would mention on the professional aspect of my side, so my background is finance, economics, and accounting. So I do read the reports myself. There are attorneys working on these projects who might not have that background, but that's where you can find consulting attorneys who aren't interested in taking on your client but would be happy to help and just make sure that you're okay. So it's make sure you have the right team in general together. And a lot of accountants can also step in and serve that role if the attorney doesn't have the particular expertise to question some of the numbers. Well, we're at the end of our time today. Any last thoughts?
3: Yeah, I would say um, errors are way more common than you would think. And um, that's why you need to pay attention and um, be involved in the process. And if if it is complex or unusual entity that needs to be valued, Look for the right partner.
1: Well, Thanks so much for joining me today. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory and Carson's Private Client. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases.
0: Bandanak Weaver Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have.
2: A Media Production.